With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are previewing a TCU matchup um, coming off of a very ugly Texas loss. We'll, we'll actually talk about that Texas game in a recap episode I'll be doing with Fetch later this week, um, along with the other two games that we haven't talked about yet. But to preview this game coming up here, I have coming back to the podcast, Melissa Trebosser from Frogs of War. Melissa, how are you doing today? You know, I am doing okay. We are recording this on what is known as the Monday Mondayest of Mondays, the first Monday back to work after a long holiday. So uh, it's going oh to be expected, I suppose, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So this particular TCU team, I don't know that much was expected of them this year, um, partly nothing. because of how Absolutely good. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Well, I was going to say partly because of how good the rest of the Big 12 is supposed to be for the most part. Um, but also just kind of the fact of, you know, losing Desmond Bain, um, you know, for, with him going off to the NBA, like, I, I don't really know what the expectation was for this team, what pieces they have coming back. What, what are, what do TCU fans actually expect from this team, given who they have coming back? You know, basketball is such a weird sport at TCU because it's one of those things where we have not been good in so very long. And then we got a little bit of a taste of success. And all of a sudden, fans just expect us to be good without understanding, like, what it is to be good in Big 12 basketball, right? So uh, there were people calling for Jamie Dixon's job last year, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't think they realized, yeah, how bad, um, how bad of a rebuild TCU basketball actually was. Um, but, you know, coming into the season, TCU's picked ninth. Uh, that's kind of become their mantra. Um, that, you know, not normally holding on to preseason expectations isn't something you see a whole lot out of Jamie Dixon, but he has been harping, we were pick ninth, nobody expects anything of you, nobody thinks you guys are any good, you can either prove them right or you can prove them wrong, and 
to this point, I think the results have been pretty good. Um, I've been really happy with TCU when they're healthy. They look like a complete team. RJ Nemhard has stepped into kind of that do-it-all scoring role that Desmond Bain did better. But, you know, he's, he, RJ can score in a couple of different ways that maybe weren't Des's strengths. And then Mike Miles, uh, our true freshman point guard, has been an absolute revelation. Um, this kid is a stud. Uh, he has a really good chance to be freshman of the year in the conference. He's already won the award, the weekly award twice. Um, I know there's stiff competition, obviously, but he's just one of those kids that he looks different when he's on the court. Um, and that's what I'm saying a lot in the Big 12. Um, he just looks like he went toe for toe with Kate Cunningham at Oklahoma State. Um, and, and, you know, TC got the better of that team. Um, and I, I think that, that he's going to be a legit superstar. So the issue for the Horn Frogs has been um, they had about five practices in the preseason total because of COVID um, and have not been able to get their entire team on the floor, but maybe twice or three times this season so far when all 12 pieces are there. It's a complete team. It's a deep team. It's a team that can win some games they shouldn't when they're missing one of their guards even. Um, it looks like a completely different squad that struggles with Prairie View A&M. So health and uh, contact tracing are going to have as much to do with this TCU basketball season as actual play on the court probably. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see that in a lot of different places. I mean, even Kansas, you know, losing one guy led to a – I don't know how much of that was Bryce Thompson being gone or how much that was Texas just being – set up to counter what Kansas wants to do. But like, I can imagine if, if Kansas, you know, everything gets out of sort missing one guy who is probably a, you know, a, a, a piece on the team, as opposed to like a legitimate guy that they lean on all the time. I can only imagine what's going to do for a team like TCU when, you know, that's what they're, that's what they're doing is trying to get a bunch of pieces to come together around, you know, one or two main guys and losing any one of those pieces can really kind of throw off the balance that you have. So um, speaking though, well, and, and this, that, go, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, this is a team that doesn't have a senior um, that plays, you know, like our only senior is a walk-on. Um, oh, that's crazy. So the, yeah, the leadership void when RJ was out for just one game with a mild groin uh, injury was very, very evident because they're so reliant on the young talent, but you need kind of those veterans on the court to make things happen. Yeah, I didn't even realize, right, like on, on the Ken Palm page, they don't even have him listed because I'm guessing he hasn't played a single minute yet this year, um, or at least not enough that Ken Palm yeah. actually pays attention. So Yeah, yeah, um, Owen, Owen hasn't stepped foot on the floor. Maybe, maybe, I think he's played like maybe three or four minutes, but all garbage time. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's just because he's not a scholarship player that they don't actually count yeah. him in that. But But anyway, like speaking of this team winning games that they really shouldn't, like I think we saw the first one when that with that win over Oklahoma State um what was the key to that win and what I mean how much is that the game plan for them to be able to to really upset anyone else the rest of the year well you know I think what we saw is what we're going to see a lot of um this team can shoot and so they have this habit of jumping out to big leads early they've done it in their last two big 12 conference games um they did Oklahoma State and Kansas State as well um and then they are young so they fall asleep a little bit they struggle a little bit um you know they let teams back into games they stop guarding the three as well and all of a sudden you know it's a 13 point first half advantage and they're trailing by you know seven with two minutes to play like they were at oklahoma state um and that's just youth i think the difference is is that there's a belief amongst this team there's a confidence that we haven't always seen around tcu athletics and the confidence is coming from the young players which we have never seen um in tcu basketball so 
at Oklahoma State, they did it with defense and with RJ Nemhard. Um, you know, Kevin Samuel hit a pair of huge free throws, which is a big deal for him, and uh, had a massive block at the rim to kind of give the Frogs a chance to, to stay in that game. And then RJ Nemhard is just one of those guys who craves those opportunities to take big shots. And when he has them, he really doesn't miss. Um, he's had two or three game winners at TCU, even playing, you know, kind of alongside Desmond Bain for most of his career. And you can tell he really craves those big moments. So this is a really long team. Uh, it's hard to say that when you're talking to someone from Kansas because length and athleticism have been the Kansas way for the last couple of years. Right. But for TCU, this is a really long, really athletic team. There's a ton of depth on the wing. Um, and you've got someone like Kevin Samuel inside who can really protect the rim. So uh, they can play great defense when they're locked in. They can, they can score with Mike Miles and RJ Nemhard. Um, when they have a third score, when, when Samuel is in double digits or when Kevin Easley or Chuck O'Bannon are able to make things happen on the offensive end, they become really hard to guard, and they guard it really well. So um, that's kind of be the recipe for success, turning your defense into offense and getting big, big, uh, big buckets from your guards. Yeah, I mean, I was I was trying to figure out what else I wanted to know about this team, and I mean, I guess I'll I'll turn it over to you. Just is there something else that we haven't talked about to this point that you think we need to know about this team going into the game? Well, I think what's going to be really interesting is is how does TCU defend the three? Because when we've seen Kansas pull away from good teams, they've dominated uh, from behind the arc. When you know they played Texas, I think they were what like three for twenty three from three point. Um, and so yeah. that has been kind of Jamie Dixon's recipe is he wants to shoot the ball well, not to force it from deep, but to, to shoot a lot of threes because that's the strength of the players that he has, and he wants to stop other teams from making threes. The the two games that TCU has lost, uh, they have lost, you know, behind the arc. Uh, the teams have lit them up from outside. The games that they've won, they've done a great job of limiting really good three-point shooting teams. Um, they played Liberty early in the season. Liberty might be the best three-point shooting team in the country. Um, they are, his, like, historic-level good the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, they were able to, to control them from, um, from outside. You know, they, they lost to Providence. Providence got hot from, from deep. You know, and that kind of seems to be the make or break. So if the Frogs could do a nice job of, of rotating well, giving Kevin Samuel some help on the weak side so that he doesn't get in foul trouble early, defending the, the three and closing down the gaps in the driving lanes. Um, they can make this thing close. And if they can make it close, they can make it interesting. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know that TC stacked up talent wise with what Kansas has this year, but I think that we finally see the program building a foundation um, for success in the future. And that's like with all the transfers and, and, you know, the guys that have left the program over the last couple of seasons, seeing a foundation of good, young, talented guys that seem committed to building something gives a lot of hope for the future. I just don't know if that future is going to be 2021. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's also a murder's row of, you know, a conference to try to rebuild a program in. So yeah. I think anybody who has to rebuild, you know, like, I mean, I even think like Iowa State is is really kind of learning this the hard way, you know, used to being up towards the top, and now they're having to rebuild and any of these other teams that are trying to rebuild in the middle of a Big 12 conference, it's going to require getting one of those five-star recruits, you know, that you can really build your team around to give you that boost that you need initially. Um, and then really good development of all the other people that you have around you. And, like, I think that's that's where I see TCU right now is that it seems like Jamie Dixon's done a really good job of developing the guys that he has. And they just haven't gotten that no, you know, no doubt five-star talent that they, they can run everything through that can take over a game 
they have some guys that seem to be kind of on their way to that. Um, but nobody that can just kind of step in and make that huge leap for them immediately. So, um, well, you know, it I, definitely I seems back on that. Go ahead. I push back on that just a little bit. Um, Jamie Dixon hasn't really had a chance to develop guys. Um, outside of Desmond Bain and now RJ Emhard, every guy that he's brought in that was, you know, high four-star level kid has left. Um, when you talk about, we lost an entire recruiting class a year ago. And it's literally an entire class. The kids that would be, um, uh, I think it's within their junior season. So four or five guys completely out of the program after one to one and a half years. That's a killer in the Big 12. Um, oh, yeah. This is the first time. Yeah. So so the guys that have stuck around, you know, Desmond Bain was a four-year player. Uh, RJ Nemhard has a chance to be a five-year player if he doesn't declare early, um, which we'll, we'll see. But but right now he's doing the things he needs to to get noticed. Um, Mike Miles is probably the most, like, has, having arrived at the program, the most talented guy that we've ever seen. Um, with the highest ceiling, too. Uh, he's a kid that probably could have been a five-star if he had gone somewhere else. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, he, has, he has all the ability, all the accolades. He had the offers. Um, so that's a superstar. That if it's like The kid's a star day one. He becomes a superstar if he continues to develop and he can do it consistently in Big 12 play. Um, so I, I, I would say that, that this is kind of the baseline year, and it sucks that it's going to happen during COVID um, because this is the year where I think Dixon finally has the pieces that he wants, um, has the talent. He brought in some some transfers. A couple of those guys, uh, you know, sat last year as, as, uh, for transfer rules and are now eligible, and I think that they have a chance to be really good. Kevin Easley and um, now Chuck O'Bannon showed up too this year as a kind of, or, you know, last January. So he's another guy that can be really good. So we can see Dixon finally kind of develop some talent with guys that are the types of players he wants. But, uh, you know, this is, this is like the third year of a rebuild. Um, and I think we're probably a year away from having the team that, that can legitimately compete. That being said, I don't think this is a ninth place team in the big 12 this year. Not based on what yeah, No, so I, I guess, I guess what I was trying to say, is that it seems from from looking from the outside, it seems that, that Jimmy Dixon has made all the right moves that he needs to to develop the guys. And the guys that he has on the roster seem to have started to take steps forward the way that you would expect, you know, needing to develop the lower ends of your roster into good players yeah. that can actually play at the Big 12 level. Like, I, I haven't Absolutely. seen any problems with that. They just haven't had a guy that is from day one, like a Cade Cunningham who comes in and you expect him to be the guy to kind of take over for your program that would allow you to immediately jump up from, you know, say eighth or ninth in the big 12 up into the top three or four. And so like, yeah. yeah, they haven't had that yet. I'm not seeing any, anything right now that makes me think that, you know, if they can get a guy like that to come in to T- to come into TCU, they, they, they have all the hallmarks of a program that could jump up really quickly and surprise a bunch of people who aren't actually paying attention to the way these things usually work. So yeah, yeah I, was, I wasn't trying to say that that Jamie Dixon was doing anything wrong. It was more of a he's doing everything that you can expect of a guy in the situation that he's in, and they just need to yeah. get that one recruit to really kind of take them to the next level there. Um, yeah, with- yeah, and I and I totally got that. I think I think my thing is is that I don't think people realize how much turnover there has been on this roster. Over the yeah, last three there's years. been a lot. <laughs> so yeah, and that, yeah. and that definitely doesn't help. No, definitely, and and you know, fans look at it is oh, this is a culture problem in, in the program. You know, I think people that understand the game and understand what Big 12 basketball is realize that you see a kid play in high school, and you, there, there are certain kids, obviously, that 
you know immediately are going to be really, really good. It doesn't matter where they go. But there are a lot of kids that look a lot of good or look really good a lot of places and then show up and can't quite play at this level. So I think that some of those were, I mean, if you look at where those transfers landed, you know, the, the, the best basketball school that any of them went was SMU, which in Kendrick yeah. Davis wouldn't have left if he could uh, handle business off the court uh, in the classroom. But uh, I, I think most of these guys had to drop down a level to be successful. And, and that's just, you know, it's a miss in, in evaluation. And that happens when you're TCU and you're not going to get those guaranteed five-star kids. You have to take some chances and hope for the best. But you know, with, with P.J. Fuller, Mike Miles, uh, Chuck O'Bannon, you have a bunch of four-star kids now that, that have a chance to be really good. Um, I, you know, TCU to me is more like one of those mid-majors that if you can keep your seniors and you're, you know, you're playing with four or five seniors in two years, Francisco Farabello and those guys, you beat someone you shouldn't in March Madness just because you're older and you've been together for a long time. That's probably TCU's ceiling right now. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be before we get a Kate Cunningham type. Uh, Lord knows there's enough of them in the DFW area. So if Dixon can convince one of those kids to stay home, uh, it just takes one to completely change the fortunes of a program. So that, that will Definitely. be obviously the next step. Yeah. You know, it's, it's also one of those things, too, is that a guy that's a four-star is probably used to being one of the best players on his high school team mm-hmm. and them winning quite a bit. And like, mm-hmm. coming to a situation in TCU where – Either you are one of the best players still, but you're not winning like you used to, um, or you know there's other there's other guys that will have problems going to you know higher level programs where they're winning a whole bunch, but they're not one of the go to guys on their team. So like a lot of it is guessing or trying to find whatever you can to to let you know what's going to happen with that, like how that's going to affect their psyche. So you could have a situation where a guy comes to TCU and you know is fine not necessarily being the star there but is so used to winning and doesn't know how to handle not winning all the time. Um, and so he decides to go somewhere where he thinks that he's going to be able to win a little bit more often, you know, drop in competition or, you know, going and being a bench guy on a team that is a lot more successful because they have a lot more talented players. Don't really know how that's going to work out until the guy gets there. And so it's, it's unfortunate that sometimes it just happens where you get a bunch of guys that would be good pieces that if once they gel could probably start winning a few games, um, but they just don't give it enough time to do that and they can't fit. You know, it doesn't meet their expectations the way that they expect yeah. it to be. And so it's it's not a fault of the coach. It's not necessarily even a fault of the player. It's just a matter of, you know, things not living up to expectations and someone deciding that they need something different. So it's hard to hold, well, and, hold and that against this, the coach. Yeah. And and when in this age of, of the transfer portal and things, too, and kids, you know, are listening to their influencers, um, they're not willing to – they think if they're not playing right away – that they need to go to a different opportunity. You know, RJ Nemhart right. is, is one of the few kids. He was a four-star recruit. He's a local kid. He redshirted his freshman year. You know, when's the last time that you looked at a, at a kid um, who's averaging, I think he's, he leads, he's one of only two players in the country to average what he's averaging in points, assists, and rebounds a game. Um, he's, he's, because, like, he's probably the most underappreciated great player in the conference right now. Now he's got to do it in league games, obviously, but um, you know, that's a kid who sat for an entire season and waited his turn. Um, a lot of kids would have left. A lot of kids did leave when asked to do the same thing, um, you know. So it's having that kind of – that attitude, being a kid who wanted to learn, who wanted to maximize, who wanted to stay, those are rarities um, in this day and age, and they're going to continue to be rarities. That's just where the game is going, unfortunately. Um, but also you can't you can't hate a kid for what to do with what they think is best for them, and um, I'm right. never going to begrudge him. I just – you know, it's it's – you're going to appreciate the ones that do stay that want to develop, that want to build something great because they are few and far between anymore. 
Yeah, it's also one of those things. I think he's a perfect example of the benefits of taking that year to get, you know, developed to to really kind of soak in everything you can. Um, you know, there mm-hmm. are some players who will come out of that and be a whole lot better and be a lot better than they would have been if they had started immediately or had been playing significant minutes immediately because they're able to soak everything up and, you know, kind of adjust to the speed of all of it. And so, you know, Kansas has has several of those guys every year, partly because they're forced to do that, but also just because mm-hmm. in some cases, Bill Self is usually pretty good about identifying, you know, does the guy need minutes now to really kind of jump up to the next level or does he need an opportunity to kind of look and see what we expect of him and work his way into the system to be able to jump? And, you know, it seems like Jamie Dixon is pulling – uh, the right moves there as much as possible, given the situation that he has with all the talent that he has. Uh, we'll just have to see how long it takes for them to kind of get back up so that they're competing in the middle of the Big 12 consistently, uh, which I definitely think that this team has the ability to do. It's just a matter of, of time at this point. So. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, you know, we, we won two games you know, on the road in Big 12 play. Uh, we lost a game we should have won against Oklahoma um, to, to start conference play early in December, but Again, no excuses, but hadn't really had a chance to practice, <laughs> hadn't really had a full team yet. So um, if they can stay together, you know, they're, they're going to win some games. Um, they've, they've shown that they can do so. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what, what COVID and close contact rules do to other programs. Um, you know, from, from what we can tell, without obviously having any official report, most of the TCU team has had COVID already. <laughs> so if not all. So... Like, I hate that because we don't know much about this disease and we don't know what it's going to do to them long term. Um, But it kind of like in the football season, TCU football played like eight games in nine weeks or something because that whole program had had COVID, you know, in August and September. Canceled the first game, didn't have to cancel or delay another one. Well, then you get three months out and guys are getting it for a second time. So you're kind of buying time at this point and it's a terrible way to look at things. Um, but if you, you can get a consistent stretch where your guys are getting to play uninterrupted, um, that's going to be a weird advantage this season that's only going to be an advantage this season. Um, of course, the most important thing is you hope these kids stay healthy and that there's no long-term ramifications. It goes without saying. But uh, it's going to be a really interesting conference season once we start seeing teams having to play conference games twice a week regularly, which is the stretch that we're getting into. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. So, all right, I do want to go ahead and turn now to this game, but uh, let's go ahead and throw it to a quick break first. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. All right, so looking at this game specifically, because obviously Kansas coming off of a absolutely horrible showing against Texas makes you wonder what the motivation is going to be like for this one. I'm guessing that Kansas is going to be a little bit more fired up than they might have been otherwise. Um but looking at this from the TCU perspective, like what do you expect in terms of matchups? Like, do you see anywhere where, where TCU might have a favorable matchup in this game at all? I mean, I think Kevin Samuel is kind of a unique player. Um, you know, Kansas is probably one of the few programs that can match him uh, size-wise in interior on the interior. Um, you know, I, I haven't, I'll be really honest, I haven't watched a lot of Kansas basketball. I, I did pay attention to quite a bit of that Gonzaga game, but, you know, that was an eternity ago, right? Like, these are completely different teams at this point. Right. Um, but, but I think where I've been most frustrated with TC's offense is their inability to get Kevin Samuel the ball inside. Um, so I don't know what Kansas's interior defense looks like now. When I saw against Gonzaga, 
I thought that, that Kevin might have a chance to, to have a big game, but I also haven't seen the Frogs been able to get him the ball anywhere that he can do anything with it recently. So um, if he puts together, you know, a double-double, he's like a, a – you know, he could, he's very capable of going for 12 and 18 um, tomorrow night, Tuesday night. So if he does something like that, I think that's probably the biggest shot. But at the end of the day, if he's going to beat Kansas, they're going to do it because they hit a barrage of three-pointers and they limit the Jayhawks, you know, being able to score from outside. That's really going to be, to me, I think, the difference maker. So if they can beat them in that, if they can not turn it over a ton. Um, you know, I know Kansas does a lot of things on defense with trapping and things like that historically. So uh, that's been a real big problem for TCU. Um, but with the ball handlers, RJ's a, a pretty good ball handler. He's, he's a solid uh, – he's not a true point guard. He plays point guard. Uh, but Mike Miles is a freshman, and Francisco Farabello is just playing in his third game after missing a month with injuries and contact tracing. So um, that, to me, is, is going to be a thing. Can they handle the press? Can they handle the trap? Can they keep themselves out of bad positions to get into their offense um, in the half-court sets? Can they get Kevin Samuel involved inside, and can he be a dominant force in the post? And can they hit a bunch of three-pointers and keep Kansas from doing the same? Uh, I think that's really the key to success Tuesday night, especially with no students back on campus yet. Going to be, it's going to be a capacity crowd, but a capacity crowd in this scenario is like 1,400 people. So it's going to be kind of. So that's all they have to do. Is 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 yeah. all of that? <laughs> yeah, just all of those things. Um, just those minor million things. If they can do those things, um, I mean. That's you know you're playing Kansas. <laughs> it, no, I know. You know it's not going to just be, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean it's so but, it is one of those things. I actually I actually do think that uh, that Samuel is going to have a big game because the guy that they have on the inside, you know, in in David McCormick has struggled mightily this year. Um, he seems to be getting bullied by guys that are around his size or bigger than him um, a lot more often than he should. You know, he's having trouble actually driving inside. Like when he goes to, to shoot inside he'll have a guy on his back and he'll turn around and do like a fadeaway hook or a fadeaway jumper which is not his game at all but for some reason he seems to think that that's the best way for him to score it has not worked out well as you can imagine um so i'm i'm curious to see when he's finally gonna stop doing that and once he stops doing that then they have a much better opportunity i think uh to to really kind of bully people on the inside but um right now they're they're trying to kind of make up for that loss pretty well they're trying to force it inside, I think, a lot more often, which is hurting them at this point, which is a lot of what we saw in that Texas game. They just – they forced it in McCormick way too often, even after it was clear it wasn't going to work. Um, and then for whatever reason, just weren't able to to switch over to what they normally do in having Jalen Wilson kind of take over the five and be – you know, use his speed to get around a lot of the bigger guys. So I'll be curious to see what they do. I'm wondering if, you know, the bad taste from that Texas game – means that they go to Wilson a lot earlier, uh, which means that, you know, that, that could definitely give TCU quite a few problems if they have a, a guy playing the five in, in Jalen Wilson who can drive in there and get his own shot pretty much whenever he wants. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see what they're doing there. But I definitely think that the one place that TCU has an advantage is the same place that most teams seem to have an advantage against KU right now is at the big, you know, the, the, the actual big guys that they have are playing a whole lot better than the options that Kansas has. Yeah, and that'll be interesting too. If if Kansas does go with more speed over over size, the Frogs have shown a couple of small ball lineups that are really intriguing. Um, we you know we have a couple of six nine guys that are pretty effective defenders and, and are pretty athletic. Um, so, but you don't want to neutralize Kevin Samuel too, as long as this is a game where they decide to like you know give Kevin the ball occasionally. Uh, literally, like last time out, I think he had three touches in the first half. 
total. Like that's ridiculous for a kid. I, I wish our big guy could only get three touches in the first half. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. <laughs> different, di- different, different schools of thought, right? Different yeah, exactly. Thought, so. Well, it's it's oh, weird because man. normally, you know, at Kansas, the the offense tends to run through the post at Kansas. Yeah, um, which normally isn't a big deal. I mean, when you have a guy like you know um, Yudoka Azbuke, like who can just dominate down low, you you want to feed him as much as possible and have him kick sure. out if he doesn't have a shot there. But David McCormick has not been strong enough, has not really done what he needs to do to establish himself down low. And so, you know, there's been a lot of people that are just saying that we should start the five-guard lineup and we should play it most of the game. And Bill Self has refused to do that. I'm guessing he knows something that we don't, especially in terms of, like, long-term viability of doing that. But it also is extremely frustrating, you know, to see them have games where they're either, you know, it's either much more competitive than it should be or they're just completely non-competitive in that game against Texas. Um, it's obviously yeah. really frustrating as a Kansas fan. I'm sure it gives a lot of hope to a lot of other Big 12 schools that really don't want to see Kansas win the Big 12 this year and, you know, start another streak. So um, I'm sure everyone else is absolutely loving the fact that Kansas can't seem to get it together. Uh, Kansas fans. Yeah, also- I mean, listen, take your time. Um, you know, it's early <laughs> season. I think it's important to experiment, to, to try, you know, things aren't working. Keep, keep trying them. Keep pushing through. Uh, it'll be better later. It'll be better later. Yeah. That's you'll what get I there eventually. believe. Yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah so but so going out to I, what i think is going to be well so i'm looking at, at the ken the ken palm matchup page and a couple things kind of jump out to me um first of all it seems that tcu does not get to the free throw line at all for the most part um and very inconsistently also, very inconsistently and they're also yeah. very bad at shooting free throws <laughs> that is very true yeah that's consistent um we've been bad at shooting free throws for about 20 years now in Kansas State, uh, got to the line I think like 26 times and hit 22 of them. So maybe this is a sign of something new. Uh, I don't I don't expect that, but uh, the TC made like their last nine free throws in you know a, a two possession game for the most part down the stretch. So that's one of the most encouraging things I've seen in a long time from the Frogs. It could also just be Kansas State for whatever reason. Um. No, 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 <laughs> don't want to hear that. Don't want to hear it. Not I, I don't think. But no, no, actually, like free throws is the one thing that should be opponent independent. Like it shouldn't matter who you're yeah. playing for you to be able to hit free throws. Yeah, or you would so you would so ideally. Yeah, we, no, we're just historically bad free throw shooting team. Uh, Dixon talks about it in every single press conference. He's always like, he kind of like preempts the questions like in his opening statement. He always says, I know we got to get better at shooting free throws. I promise you no one in the country is shooting more free throws in practice than we are. We're oh aware of it. We're working on it. It's just that's not happening. You know it's really bad. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's yeah, that, that's when you know. It's so funny. Oh, boy. But, yeah, um, other things I'm looking at, like, it doesn't look like – well, it seems like they're fairly careless with the ball, and maybe that's just kind of the way that things are breaking out for them. But, I mean, they have, you know – a steal on 10.5 of their possessions seems like a really, really bad stat to have. Yeah, like, so that number is definitely... Or is it just, like, bad luck for them? Well, so in, you know, I think four of our last five games or, or like, six of our last eight, something like that, we have been missing either RJ Nemhard or Francisco Farabello. So you're turning to a two-point guard uh, to run the offense and do it without a lot of help. So teams are smart, right? Like, like there's a reason people coach Division One basketball. They're usually pretty intelligent. So we have seen usually. more trapping, more full court pressing, um, you know, despite what fans think, right? But uh, teams have really turned up the heat um, against TCU's, like, lack of ball handlers. 
with RJ, Francisco, and Mike Miles all available and not in foul trouble, they handle the pressure fine. They don't turn it over too carelessly. Um, they look good. When one of those guys is either on the bench or out of the game, it's an adventure getting the ball across half court. So that's the issue. Like it's not, we don't really, yeah, we don't really have a wing who's a great ball handler. PJ Fuller is, is fine when pressed into action. Um, it's not his strength. So um, having one of those guys out for an extended period of time absolutely kills what TCU is able to do offensively because they just they can't get into their sets, you know, until there's, you know, nine, ten seconds gone off of the, the shot clock. Yeah, unfortunately, that makes a lot of sense. I was hoping that was something that Kansas – because Kansas has been really good with pressure defense. Um, it sounds like, that, I mean, that might end up being – I guess we will find out, you know, if that really is an issue for them or if it is related yeah. specifically to that because Kansas has been really, really good at uh you know at, at stealing the ball um that's one of their strengths defensively it seems um you know this team in general like, i i'm i'm interested to see how this tcu offense is going to match up with this kansas defense because um you know it seems like tcu likes to do a lot of stuff out on the perimeter um you know and then try to kind of feed the post from there kansas has really really good defensive pressure on the outside so i'll be really interested to kind of see what they're able to do there um, do you, I mean, how, how worried are you about the ability of Kansas to kind of rotate four different wings and guards and really kind of lock down the outside? Um, or, oh, or do you super think worried. I was to say, yeah, or, or no. maybe that there's something there that we're just not accounting for that, that TCU might be able to kind of break that a little bit more often than normal. Um, you know, I think it's going to be an issue. And the reason being is that, you know, Jamie Dixon runs a really heavy motion offense. There are like six to eight passes per possession. Sometimes you're not getting an, an actual look at the basket until there's, you know, eight, seven seconds left on the shot clock. It's concerning. They move the ball so well, but what's the point of moving the ball that well if you don't actually get a good shot out of it? So um, yeah, sure. I think that Kansas is, is going to be able to uh, to definitely slow down the TCU offense. They're going to cause problems. Where it's going to be is can they lull them into overplays and get good drives to the hoop? Because the one thing this team has that we haven't really seen it's like four guys who are legit athletes, like legit Division One, Big 12 athletes, guys that can drive and dunk on people. That has been a rarity around TCU for as long as I've been following this program. So if Fuller and Chuck O'Bannon and Kevin Easley can get opportunities to, to take advantage of, of tight play up top and get by somebody, if they can get the defense to have to rotate, they can find an open man, they're going to hit threes. Uh, Farabello, Nemhard, RJ, or sorry, uh, Mike Miles, um, Kevin Easley, uh, uh, Karen Todd, all of them consistently hit the three-pointer at a pretty good clip. So if you can make, if you can get by that first guy and make, put them in a recovery position, then you're going to have opportunities. If you convert those opportunities, then you're going to be in a good position to to stay close in the game. So uh, that yeah, to me is going to be a difference maker. I would say it's, it's interesting because for, for all the problems that TCU has had, I mean, they're the 73rd ranked offense, um, you know, according to Ken Palm, like they're, they're shooting three pointers at about the same clip as Kansas. Um, yeah. It's a little concerning for me if I'm a Kansas fan, because, you know, Kansas two points are, they're, they're very bad from inside the arc for whatever reason. It's really weird to kind of see this, but um, you know, I guess, I guess what I'm, what, 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 the other thing that jumps out to me here is the TCU defense, you know, a lot of times I know a lot of people that say that three point defense, like percentage defense is 
largely independent of opponent that a lot of times there's a lot of luck involved with that but they're they're obviously doing something right tcu is because they're only allowing 28.2 percent of opponents threes on the year which is good for you know 39th in the country so far is that something that they've consciously been doing or do you think that it's more more luck involved than than you would want to hope for Oh, no, I think it's legitimately the number one focus of emphasis on defense. Um, and they can do that because they have somebody like Kevin Samuel who, you know, might finish the year is, is with the highest uh, number of blocks in the country. You know, like he's already yeah. the all-time school leader and he's only a junior. So when you have somebody that can protect the rim like that but is still athletic enough to rotate um, and, and go, you know, get drawn outside and be semi, semi-effective, you can really focus on – taking away the three ball. And if you look at the teams, I, I understand what you're saying. You know, if people are like, oh, it doesn't matter who you're playing. It's, you know, the ball's in or out. But if you look at the team CCU has played and, and how many three-pointers they shoot per game and how well they shoot them, uh, it's a pretty impressive stat to be, you know, holding them at that rate. So, uh, yeah, I mean, has very so consciously. Well, yeah, I was going to say because, I mean, you know, there's the main school of thought on three-pointers is that really the only thing you can do is either contest it or, you know, it like it's either contested or non-contested. And most teams obviously will make a lot more of their three-pointers if they're uncontested. But for the most part, like, a team is going to shoot, like, unless you're completely, like, up in their face, they really don't have room to get it off, in which case most teams don't take those. Like, if teams that take more three-pointers are going to make more three-pointers for the most part. Um, but it definitely seems like TCU is doing something because, you know, they've, they're allowing teams to shoot 35% of their shots from three which is right around the middle of the pack for the, you know, for the season. Um, but they're only, you know, they're, they're consistently one of the better teams. So it's not like a small sample size type of thing where, where, you know, teams aren't really shooting very much and they've just been cold because they're not able to get a lot of those shots. Like it definitely seems to be like teams are still taking a bunch of threes and for whatever reason, they're not going in, whether that's TCU really kind of getting up in their face and preventing them from taking good shots or getting a little lucky or probably a combination of both, but it definitely seems yeah, like something to them being able to contest more three-pointers than you would typically see. Well, and I think that one of the things that, that Dixon talked about in the preseason, you know, before we started actually playing games, was the biggest difference on this roster was just the length that they had at the perimeter. You know, we've, we've got a bunch of six five, six seven, six nine guys with wingspans that are closer to seven feet who can really, really bother guys and can cover a lot of ground really quickly. And like I said before, like, we just haven't had athletes like that. So... I think that he's been able to make it a point of emphasis over the course of the last several months um, and in preseason and leading up to the season. And it continues to be their number one focus on defense is really trying to take away the three-pointer as a weapon for other teams. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So so this is the point of the podcast where I ask for your prediction. How do you think the game's going to go? Do you think that TCU is going to keep this one close or even potentially win this? Or do you think the Kansas is going to come out super angry after this Texas game and are going to kind of blow the doors off of TCU at this point? I fully expect Kansas to come out angry. Um, but I do think the strength of this TCU team is being able to stay in game um, for extended periods of time. So that's not a lot for a lot of people. But for us, it's a big deal. and We're happy about it. So um, I think it'll be close. I think that the halftime, Kansas probably holds a, you know, five, seven-point lead. TCU comes out with a ton of momentum in the second half, maybe gets it to one possession or even takes the lead. Ultimately, I think Kansas is the better team today. Um, and, and so I would, you know, I'm not going to pick TCU to win. 
Um, that being said, uh, the, the mantra of this team all season has been, so what? Uh, to the point to where literally, like, that's what's getting quoted to us in the, in the post-game press conference. You know, our Jane Emhard said after that Kansas State win, we were picked to finish ninth. We're taking it personal. You know, we understand that nobody thinks we're any good. And we, we want to show people that, that we are not the ninth best, that we're not the second worst team in this conference. Uh, we've won one game in Big 12, so what? We've won two games in Big 12 play, so what? It's all about the next one. So this is an opportunity to send a big message on the big stage, you know, Tuesday night, 9 o'clock ESPN. This team is going to be just as fired up to play as Kansas is. I think the Jayhawks ultimately get it done, but I think the Frogs are in it um, really to, to a late point in the game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. It's going to be difficult, I think, for this Kansas team with such a glaring weakness on the inside to really, you know, assert their dominance. Like the only way that Kansas is going to come out and just make this a no-doubter the entire way is if they come out and shoot like 80% from three, at which point no one is going to be able to beat them because of how many threes they typically sure. take. Um, you know, but that's that's not very likely. Uh, I, I do think this is going to be a dogfight for a good portion of the game. Um, I do ultimately think that Kansas is, like we've kind of talked about, Kansas is a more talented team and probably should win this game fairly comfortably but they've also kind of shown that they don't play up to their level of talent all the time they've been you know they've had issues kind of with lapses for whatever reason whether it's you know guys just not getting going um there's also you know some question about whether Bryce Thompson is going to be available for this game I don't believe he actually is going to be because of some back issues he is I think we saw in the Texas game a much bigger piece of this offense and of the defense as well because he's one of their lockdown defenders um than I think a lot of people gave them credit for before so I think it's going to be difficult for Kansas. I think that ultimately they will probably pull it out just because I think that Bill Self will have a plan for them. And honestly, I don't know that I want to be anyone on this team getting back on the bus if they lose to a TCU team <laughs> after the way that they played against Texas. So if they're not – like, it'd be different if – like, the only way that I can I can see that being, quote, unquote, okay is if TCU shoots, like, 80% from three and, like, is shooting the lights out of the gym and there's absolutely nothing that you could have done. Even then, Bill Self is going to be upset. These guys are going to, you know, not have a very good few days before their next game. But I think this team is going to be super motivated and that they're going to find a way to do it. It's not going to be – or I think it's going to be a lot uglier than we really want it to be. Um, but ultimately, I do think Kansas pulls it out. And that's not to slight, you know, what, what TCU is going to be able to do. I do think they're going to jump up and fight a few other people. Um, you know, they have quite a few chances coming up uh, in the next couple weeks here. So we'll see. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if, if TCU has a strong showing against Kansas and then jumps up and bites Baylor. Like, I, I would absolutely love yeah, I'm sure he'd be fine with that, yeah. Well, yeah, I, you know, exactly, honestly, so. I'm so glad that, that we're playing Kansas Tuesday instead of, like, you know – Kansas State or somebody because it'd be really easy to look ahead to number two Baylor but uh, you don't get to yeah. do that when you're still playing a team that is going to be you know in the top five or whatever um, by the time the ball tips off so yeah yeah I I, th I don't think that the uh, that the uh, poll is out yet but I'm expecting Kansas to drop but not drop by a ton so it'll be yeah it'll be interesting yeah. to kind of see how that actually happens, where they're at for this game it's going to you know both teams are going to be motivated regardless so it, it should be a fun game well depending on how, how much you expect it to be a breeze for Kansas, it'll be a fun game. Yeah. Um, it's going to be ugly. You, you're absolutely right. Like, I would not be shocked whatsoever if this game ends, like, 53-51. Because that's yeah, how it, TC wants well, to play. It's either going to be ugly because both teams are shooting like crazy and it's going to be like an, you know, like an 87-84 type of game 
um, because there's no defense being played or it's going to be super ugly because there's so much defense being played that's going to end in the 50s. Yeah. So, yeah, all that, right. and that but, would be uh, my guess. Yeah, all right. But that's going to do it for us today. We're, we are out of time at this point. Melissa, where can the people find your work online? You can find me at the Coach Melissa on Twitter and at Frogs of War uh, on the internet, where we I will be uh, covering the game live, and we will be uh, tweeting live uh, if you guys want to follow us on Frogs of War as well. So yeah, I'll probably uh, interact with you guys a few times there, depending on how how good the game is going. I don't know. I might I kind <laughs> of get a little moody if Kansas is not playing very well. So. We'll have to see how that works. <laughs> we're used to that TCU, so we're fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Melissa. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts. There's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can leave us a rating and a review as well, five stars and nice comments would be absolutely great. But if you can't do that for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people who want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. You can also get your voice on the show. Do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. Leave us a voicemail. I promise we'll get it on the show for you. But that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.